want to invite you to the book of 1 John. It's, it's up behind me. We are, for the first time, working through a book of the Bible. I have found it very, very helpful. Uh, I hope that you have, and maybe in your own personal readings or just here in the sanctuary on Sundays, that you've been able to see some connecting of dots, and that, that is what's happened for me personally. So very thankful for that. I'm going to go back and do quick context and bring us up to our portion for today. So John has been talking in chapter 1 about fellowshipping with God. This, this is the life of the believer. Come on, guys. By the blood of Jesus, we enter back into relationship with the Father. Listen, Jesus didn't just come to grant us forgiveness of sins. He came to connect us back to the Father. And so we have fellowship with God. We're called to walk in the light as he is in the light. And we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus forgives us for all our sins. And if we do sin, we confess that, right? 1 John 1, 9. Then he comes down begins to talk about Jesus as our advocate. He's a propitiation for our sins. Amen. Chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, 5, down basically to, to verse uh, 10. It's this reminder from John to obey his commandments, obey his word. And we looked back at the upper room discourse, John 13, 34, 35. The commandment that we are to keep and guard is to love one another. You remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, all men will know that you are my disciples by the way you love one another. Because the loving one another can only be produced by the Spirit of God. And the world cannot duplicate that. And so the world is able to peer in on the church, on the believers, where we are able to love one another and be a witness to a, a world that is full of hate and division. This is beautiful. And then it comes down and a couple weeks ago, I talked about, hey, don't hate your brother. You remember this? Don't hate. And uh, that's, that's um, 1 John 2, basically 8 through 11. If we hate our brother, we walk in darkness, and that darkness blinds our eyes. Tyler came last week with an admonition. Chapter 2, 15 to 17. Do not love the world, for the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, these things are passing away, but he who does the will of God abides forever. And so love one, love one another, don't love the world. Walk in light, don't walk in darkness. You see this? And so we've got that as the backdrop to our text today. And we come to chapter 2, verse 18. Watch this. You ready? It's like we've just been kind of coasting along, and all of a sudden, John's like, 
wait a minute, let me tell you something. <clears throat> now, let me ask you guys, when you read verse 18, how are you going to deal with this verse? Because <laughs> it opens up what we're going to deal with today. Let's go there. Look at this with me. 1 John 2.18, children, it is the last hour, and you have heard that the Antichrist is coming. <laughs> it's like, whoa, whoa, John, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, dude. <laughs> well, we've been talking about this and this, and then all of a sudden it's like, wow. You know what it's like for, for many of us that read through the Bible every year? And I don't. But Genesis, Exodus, skip. Leviticus, and we move to Numbers, Deuteronomy, right? <laughs> you know those books, it's like, ah, he's talking about a lot of stuff I don't really understand. So we'll just skip that part. And it would be easy for us to be, walk in light, walk in love, don't walk in darkness, amen. Don't love the world, amen. But we come to verse 18. Do we just skip this portion? <laughs> As one who's been studying eschatology, the end times for many years, it's like the portion I'm ready to get to. <laughs> But uh, it, it, is a, it is an interesting thing, and I'm just going to try to jump in here and uh, begin unraveling a few things. Now, as you can imagine, um, this, I, I, let, let me kind of paint it this way. It is the last hour. What do you mean by that, John? We're going to talk about that. And the Antichrist is coming. Matter of fact, the spirit of the Antichrist is already in the world. But there's one that's coming that will be like fully loaded at the end of this age. So we're going to open that up. We're going to begin to discuss it. Here's the, here's the hard part. You ready? When a biblical writer, particularly in the New Testament, drops a phrase, <laughs> Antichrist, into a passage, you begin to think, well, what's he talking about, right? And so where do you go to begin to understand? Here's the interesting thing. The word antichrist is only used five times in the Bible, all right? It's used in 1 John 2 a couple times, 1 John 4, and 2 John 7. So John uses the term five times, but the Antichrist is used with multiple other names, and we're going to get to those names here in just a few moments. Let's move here now again. 1 John 2.18, children, it is the last hour. Just as you heard, the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have arisen. From this we know it is the last hour. So let's begin to open up this phrase, last hour. This is used by John here, and um, I think it provides for us to be aware, not beware, be aware, be awake, be alert. Is that me? <laughs> no. It's the hour of prayer. Let's pray. No. <laughs> okay. Okay. It is the last hour. Uh, this serves as, now watch this, because almost every biblical writer had a sense of urgency concerning the coming of Jesus and the things that must precede his coming. 
And so all of the biblical writers lived with urgency. And I would challenge each of us here today that we would live with urgency. The biblical writers in the Old Testament, here's the word. It's used probably a hundred times. Okay? It is the phrase, akarith yom. Y'all thought, I don't know Hebrew, but I listen, I, 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 I hear it pronounced. So, akarith yom. And, and akarith is the word for last. Yom is the word for days. And so, akarith yom is the last days. And this is a phrase that reaches back into the Torah. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and it's all through the prophets, this phrase, last days. And again, it's used probably several hundreds of times, well, excuse me, it's used dozens of times, but referred to hundreds of times throughout the Tanakh or the Old Testament. It's really like, wow. And we know that he's talking about that coming time. Of the end of the age, let me give it to you again. We've looked at it a number of times, but this is the best I know from the Scriptures. There is this age, and there is the age to come. This is the way the biblical Jewish writers understood time. It's a linear movement of time into eternity future, and it's divided between this age and the age to come. And what divides this age from the age to come? It is the com second coming of Jesus, the day of the Lord. Very clear. Key Old Testament phrase, day of the Lord. New Testament, day of Christ Jesus. But it's the second coming day of the Lord divides this age from the age to come. And then there's this little slither of time. We understand it from Daniel 9, 27. There is a seven-year window that will close out this age before the second coming day of the Lord. Okay? You got that, you get a big piece of how the Scriptures fit together in matters of eschatology or the end times. Here's what's important. We can't just, you know, it is the last hour, and you heard the Antichrist is coming, and we just read on in our Bibles. If we don't have background, backdrop, landscape, we'll never understand the term. You get that? That makes sense. So when you get to a term in your Bible, as a good friend of mine, Bill Schofield, has said, you get to a term in your Bible and you don't understand it, always go left. In other words, always go back to Torah and the prophets because the biblical writers are drawing out of those passages to bring insight into what they're saying. So that's why we're going to have to go back and look at some of this um, let, me, let me just hit a couple of passages about last hour, understanding as you move into the New Testament. You remember Jesus was asked a question in Matthew 24, verse 3. It's called the upper room. No, it's called the Olivet Discourse. It's Jesus' teaching on end times. Matthew 24, 25, Mark 13, Luke 21. 
okay? And, and here was the question. Jesus takes two chapters to answer this question. Well, it's actually a, a, several questions in one. The disciples asked Jesus, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? That was that end of the age. Again, it's that period of time at the end of the age before that precedes the second coming day of the Lord. All right? The Jews understood that as Jacob's trouble, great tribulation, that last three and a half years of the seven. They even were called by the Jews, it was called the Messianic Woes, W-O-E-S. Just something for our language just to remember, okay? Let's get to Romans 13 because I want to pick up at least one or two uh, just to say, hey, this is what, again, all, I'm telling you, almost every, every New Testament writer, Jews, uh, we've got James, we've got uh, Peter, John, Paul, all of these New Testament writers referred to this last hour that John, so John is simply saying it's the last hour. He's saying with urgency, like, man, like we're living in light of, he didn't recognize there'd be a 2,000 year gap between the first and second comings. He didn't see that. He was living with urgency of what was before him. And if the prophets called it the last days, John called it the last hour. Some of you might look at that and say, if we were rewriting the Bible today, we wouldn't call it last days or last hour. We'd call it the last seconds. You see that? Urgency. Because, beloved, he's coming. He's coming. Romans 13. Look at just a couple passages to help us understand this last hour, this last days. Look how, look how uh, Paul referred to this in his writing to the church at Rome. Romans 13, 11. And this do, knowing the time notice this, verse, go back to verse 9. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. He's drawing out of those passages we looked at in 1 John, right? Verse 11, and do this, love one another for sure, but knowing that the time, what time, Paul? That it's already the hour, you see this? It's already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. What is he talking about? To awake from sleep, biblically, was to awake from the dead. It's, he's talking about the resurrection of the dead at the second coming of Jesus. It's already that hour for you to awaken from sleep. Watch this. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. Because they understood salvation is at the second coming day of the Lord. You know, John, uh, Hebrews 9, 28, Jesus came the first time in regards to sin, but he's coming the second time in regards to salvation because it will be a saving us from the future wrath of God. That's the key. Verse 12, the night is almost gone. Do you know what he's talking about? The night of the darkness of this age is almost gone. The night and the darkness of this age is almost over. And the day, the light, 
the coming age of Messiah is almost here. You get the feel of this. He says, therefore, watch this, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness of this age because we're getting ready to enter into a day of light. It's the day of the coming of Christ Jesus with his kingdom. Amen. Verse 13, let us therefore behave properly in, as in the day. Don't be acting like darkness. <laughs> act like the day. And you know what he's saying, beloved? Believers, act like what it's going to be like when he comes. Because he, the, the foundations of his throne when he comes in Jerusalem will be justice and righteousness. Act like that now in light of that day. That's what he's alluding to here. And he goes on. He says, not in carousing and drunkenness and sexual promiscuity and sensuality and strife and jealousy. Those are the dark things of this age, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lust. Amen. Live like the day. Live like he's coming. Live like the king is coming with a kingdom. Let's live in light of the age to come. This will help you when you watch the news. I promise you. Because <laughs> I'm telling you what, my news, most of it's right there. But I'm telling you, I just got to turn that thing over. Because you keep watching that thing, it will wear you out. And what will happen, it will suck us into the vortex of this age instead of keeping our eyes on the one who's coming. Amen. And it will be in righteousness and justice in light of that day. we got to keep our eyes on the prize. Amen. I ain't going to make no comments about it last night. All right, let's move on. You know I'm messing with y'all. Not really. Okay, let's, um, you know, there's so many. Look at 2 Timothy 3. This, this needs to be about a three-part. <laughs> I ain't even going to get past the top half of my notes. I actually made notes for this sermon. Thank you, Jesus. All right, 2, uh, 2 Timothy 3.1. 2 Timothy 3.1, Paul writing to his young disciple, Timothy, Realize this, that in the last days, there it is, difficult times will come. I'm not going to read the rest, but I would encourage you to read like the numerous kinds of attitudes and behaviors of the darkness of this age that will grow ripe as we grow closer to the end of this age. Called, as, as Paul called it the last hour in Romans 13, here he calls it the last days. I could go on and on. Let's do look at a, a one, one or two more. Look at 1 Peter 4. 1 Peter 4. Here's Peter's, uh, he, here's what kind of way he, there's a lot here. The whole book is about suffering, but look what he says in verse 7. 1 Peter 4, 7, the end of all things. See, there it is. And again, it's, it's the same phrase. John is just calling it the last hour, but it's the last days. It's the last hour. It's the last days. It is here. It is the end of all things. It's the same time frame. All of the prophets and the apostles are saying the same thing. It's that closing time of this age. Look, 1 Peter 4, 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be of sound judgment and of sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Woo. You know, this tells us we need to be a praying people as we grow closer to the end of the age. You know how Jesus said this? 
in light of the end times? Uh, I'll just, all right, look at it with me. Luke, look at Luke 18. We're flipping a lot, but isn't it great? Because you know what happens when you flip in your Bible and you spend time staring at the Scripture? It begins to speak to you. And here's the beauty of it. It begins to weave together seamlessly. It just comes together as we spend time and we understand these facts. Jesus has just spent a bunch of time talking about the, bring, the coming of his kingdom when he comes. Okay, chapter 17. And then in light of that, chapter 18, verse 1, look what he says. Luke 18, 1. Now, he was telling them a parable in light of his coming kingdom at the second coming day of the Lord. He was telling them a parable to show them at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart. So think with me for a moment. As, as, as a guy I read years ago, he said, if we're not praying, we will lose heart in light of the coming trouble that precedes the second coming day of the Lord for Jesus. Amen. So anyway, prayer will be a major. Look at, look at, look at James just real quick. Look at James 5. Just want to make sure you see how all of these apostles, how they understood this. James 5, starting in verse 7 through 11, is his little portion on the end times. But look what he says. James 5, verse 8. You too be patient. Strengthen your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. And this was a phrase even John the Baptist and Jesus used that the repent for the, he says, for the kingdom is at hand. Meaning that when the kingdom comes, it's preceded by trouble. That's why you need to repent. So this is James's phrase, Jesus's uh stepbrother, <laughs> he's speaking of this. He learned this, that to, for, the, for that coming day to be at hand, it was, again, a sense of urgency. Okay, there's enough on that. I want to give you guys a quick thought. By the way, book of Revelation is full of these phrases. Like, he's coming shortly. Jesus in chapter 22, three times says, I'm coming quickly. And it's a sense that we are to live with urgency concerning the coming of the Lord. All right. Now, I want to put something in front of you as a key thought. Let's go back to 1 John 2. 1 John chapter 2. I want you to see this for just a moment. And, beloved, what I'm getting ready to say is a pattern in the Bible. It's a 100% pattern. You can't, you can't separate. It's a pattern. Okay? And what I'm getting ready to say might rouse up a few of us. That's okay, though, because I'm not concerned about anything than by the grace of God, preaching the truth. Amen. Look at this, 1 John 2, 18. Children, it's the last hour, and you heard the Antichrist is coming. Right? Look at 2, 28. And now abide in him so that when he, Jesus, appears, second coming day of the Lord, after the arrival of Antichrist, Right? We may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. So we have in the same chapter, 2.18, the coming of Antichrist and then the coming of Jesus Christ. And rem remember this, anti can mean against Antichrist, but actually the better, the better translation is instead of, in place of. 
that the Antichrist is going to come and try to masquerade himself as the one. But keep this in mind, beloved. Luke 17, many passages. Jesus comes from heaven in the sky, on the clouds. So any voices that arise in the Middle East, any voices that arise out there, you don't listen to anyone speaking as a false messiah, as an antichrist, that they're the one. Because you wait on him who's coming from heaven in the clouds, right, in the sky, on the clouds. That's why Jesus says you will not be able to deny it. Don't listen to all these false voices that are going to rise up. So here's a, for, here's a statement. The antichrist and his coming precedes the coming of Jesus Christ. Number two, here's a false statement. Now, I know this is going to ruffle us a little bit. Come on, y'all. Open your hands up, receive. It's going to ruffle some for a moment. Jesus will not appear at any moment. Because most are waiting for a pre-tribulation rapture. He cannot. He will not appear at any moment. I know, again, this ruffles you. Jesus throughout the pattern of the Bible is he comes in his second coming after Antichrist. I tell you what, if you study again 2 Thessalonians 2, all oh, spend some time there. 2 Thessalonians 2, okay? And so the, Jesus appears, Jesus comes, Jesus does the day of the Lord Always, the pattern is after the trouble and the coming of Antichrist. If that messes with you, I, I don't know what else to say other than I know a calling, one of the callings on my life is to prepare a generation for the coming of Jesus and to speak the truth about the matter. So I'm asking you, work through this. I want to do a te lot of teaching on this somewhere in the future, but I also don't want to be brash and I don't want to sound haughty. I humble myself before the Lord in these things. But I tell you, I want to be truthful. I want to be humble, but I want to be truthful and speak what I believe to be the Lord, okay? Um, let me give you one piece. Y'all ready? Ah, Matthew 24. Let's just go to this one just for a second. And again, this is a pattern throughout the Bible. And I know that a number of TV preachers try to divide all these things. You can't do it. You cannot. You'll play biblical gymnastics. You can't do it. Here it is. You ready? Matthew 24, verses 3 through 28 is the last seven years of this age that we've been talking about. It's the last seven years. It is within it. it the Antichrist is not mentioned, but he shows up big time throughout the text, and I'm not going into that right now. But we know that Matthew 24 is the last seven years Okay, up through verse 28. Then pick it up in verse 29. Matthew 24, 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, and he's talking about verse 21. What does it say? Then there will be a great tribulation not occurred since the beginning of this world until now, nor ever shall be. So Jesus, watch this, immediately after, Matthew 24, 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, stars will fall from sky, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. He's quoting all kinds of prophets from the Old Testament. He's quoting all, all these prophets and understood even Revelation 6. This is the sixth seal 
of Revelation chapter 6, okay? Verse 30, then the sign of the Son of Man, he's quoting Daniel 7, 13 and 14, then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory and the angels will go out with a great trumpet and they will gather together the elect four winds of the earth from one sky, one end of the sky to the other. Amen. Look, hey, did you ever see this? He, 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 after this, he, he gives us seven parables of how you're supposed to live in light of that. And then look at 25, Matthew 25, 31. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory, all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne in Jerusalem. <laughs> so it's trouble precedes Jesus' return to set up his kingdom and restore all things. We taught this in God's story back in the fall. I got to figure out where I'm going to stop this sermon because I know I ain't going to get all the way through it. All right. Here's my next portion I want us to begin looking at because I think it's appropriate. You know, I mentioned that the Antichrist is only mentioned five times in 1 John and once, well, and once in 2 John 7. But there are many, 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 many other names for him. And it's the same time period of the last end of days, the last days. So I'm going to run through these. Somebody wants to take a picture of these notes, you can later, okay? But I'm just going to run through these. And for the sake of even the web stream, somebody wants Because here's the key. We want to grab these passages and we want to stare at them. And when you stare at them, they start speaking to you. And then seamlessly, they start fitting together. It looks like a bunch of just pieces of a puzzle. But I promise you that thing will fit together as you spend time studying the last days. So I want to give you uh, the names that I know. Not going in all of it because there's a few others. But here are some that are very clear as to other references to this coming of Antichrist. All right? Let's look at those. I'm not going to even turn in the Bible. What I'm going to do is just mention these. This is just like a fact chart just for a moment, but I think it's important, all right, that we see this. So the Antichrist, I'm going to give you names for him, other portions in the Bible, and John would have understood when he makes the statement Antichrist, he would have understood these particular portions because John understood his Old Testament. So the Antichrist is called the Assyrian. Where's the region of Assyria? I'll tell you, it's north of Israel, and it's not Russia. Okay. That's a big tip right there when you get to Ezekiel 38 and 39. But here we go. He's called, the Antichrist is called the Assyrian in Isaiah 10 and Micah 5. You know what this does for me? It begins... I, I, I preach and teach the truth, but the relief is to put the burden on the body to go dig these things out yourself. Isn't that the beauty? He's also called Gog, G-O-G, Gog of Magog. Most modern prophecy guys, they put this somewhere, not Antichrist, they put it in Russia somewhere. You can't do it. And, and again, there's a lot of reasons why. I'm not going to go into that background that right now. But Gog, if you read it, 
as the coming of this Antichrist, Ezekiel 38 and 39. It's like, wow. Read it. Look, one homework assignment this week on Tuesday morning. Read Ezekiel 38 and 39 in one setting and understand that Gog is the Antichrist. I'm telling you, the lid begins to come off. And a spirit of light and revelation will be upon you if you understand these things. And I'm just putting it in front of you. Let's dig it out. All right. Daniel had four visions. Okay. Daniel 7, Daniel 8, Daniel 9, and then Daniel 10 through 12. Okay. And inside of all four visions, he gives different names for the Antichrist. You ready? In chapter 7, it's little horn. Chapter 8, it's small horn and king. Chapter 9, the prince to come. Chapter 11, the king and the king of the north. If you didn't grab all them, I just encourage you, maybe go back and listen to this online. Grab those passages and look at them. Daniel 7 through 12, very important. And I will let you know this, that all all four visions of Daniel 7 through 12 are about the Antichrist invading Jerusalem, Israel. So many people are setting up the Antichrist to be this global ruler. I don't think that's what's going on. And I'm going to talk about that in just a moment, okay? Let's go to a few more. In, uh, he's also, Antichrist is called, he's called the man of lawlessness and the son of destruction in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, okay? He's also called the Antichrist. We talked about that one. And then here's another big one, okay? Revelation 13, Revelation 17 is called the beast. So I'm saying start putting all those passages together and we get a little bit of glimpse into 1 John 2.18. It is the last hour and that Antichrist is coming. Now we have a little bit more pieces of the puzzle to fit together to understand John's statement of who and what and how and when and why is the Antichrist. Okay. I hope hope that's a little bit helpful. I'll say this. The Antichrist is not coming like, he's not coming opposite of Jesus Christ. He's coming in opposition to Jesus Christ. Okay, just keep some of that in mind. All right. Um, There are three big pieces to Antichrist. I'm going to close this in just a few moments. Uh, um, just Just looking, okay, here are three big pieces. When you study all these passages about him and the end of the age, okay, he will come with deception. And, and we're going to get to this in just a moment. You'll understand 1 John 2 in a new light, I think. He's coming with deception, great deception. Number two, he's coming with persecution, primarily to Jew, uh, uh, believers. Anyone who names Christ those people of the cross, he's coming with persecution. And thirdly, he's coming with tribulation, specifically against Jerusalem and the Jewish people. Okay. And so him coming with deception, I'm, I was going to move into another section, but I'm not. But let's get back to 1 John 2, and I'm going to wrap this together. 1 John 2, give me five minutes to wrap this up and, and hit my point. Because this is, I think, though, getting that background is so helpful Looking at Antichrist, go study those out. Look at 1 John 2.18 again. 
children. It's the last hour. And you heard the Antichrist is coming. Even now many Antichrists have arisen. From this we know it's the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not really of us. Talking about those who were of the spirit of the Antichrist. Look at verse 22. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. And in verse 26, she picked up this word, this word where he says, These things I've written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. So Antichrist, one of his MOs, yes, it will be the persecution and it will be tribulation. But one of his primary issues is to deceive. Whoever's on the earth, whoever particularly out of the Middle East, he's coming with deceptions. And Jesus spoke to this very, very clearly. Uh, Matthew 4, I mean Matthew 24, let's go back there for just a moment. I want you to see these four verses, and you can, uh, you can look at this later. But this word mislead or deception is used four times in Matthew 24, and again, it's in the last, these last seven years at the end of the age. Look at Matthew 24, verse 4. Jesus answered, said to them, when they asked him, what's, gonna, what's the sign of your coming, the end of the age? Matthew 24, 4. See to it, no one misleads you. It's the word for being deceived or to be led astray. It actually means to wander or to roam. Question, anybody wandering and roaming in your faith right now? I tell you, as we grow closer to the coming of Jesus, deceptions are only going to increase. If we're roaming now, I tell you, many are going to fall away in that day. We need to be a people uh, to hear this word. Even today, I'm getting ready to speak in closing. Matthew 24, 4. Look at Matthew 24, 5. Many will come in my name, that spirit of Antichrist, right, in my name, and, and say this, I am the Christ and will mislead many. Verse 11. And many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. Verse 24, false Christ, false prophets will arise, show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. And so it's a very interesting thing that, that he's coming in the spirit of Antichrist. It's in the world today to that one that's coming. He's coming with great deception, okay? And so how do we counter the rise? Young parents, how do we counter even now, parents, listen to me, of young children, you, you, you appreciate Christian schools. You appreciate homeschool. You appreciate the church to help equip and train and teach. But there's no substitute for mama and daddy putting the word of God before your children. Amen. Let me get a bigger amen than that. God help us, Holy Spirit. So how do we counter the rising deceptions and era that's coming? 1 John 2. I said all that to really get to my, this is the main point right here. <laughs> and it's so beautiful to me. Oh, my goodness. This is so beautiful. 1 John 2. Let's read the verses, okay? Verse 20 and verse 27. In light of... Antichrist and the spirit of Antichrist and, and deceptions that are going to increase. Verse 20. But you have an anointing from the Holy One. 
and you know all things. Verse 27, as for you, the anointing which you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about all things, and is true is not a lie, just as it had taught you, abide in him, abide in Jesus. Anointing, what is he talking about? Have you all ever heard, particularly out of the charismatic streams? Okay. And I'm not downplaying that. I, I got several streams in my own heart, okay? But, but uh, in terms of the charismatic idea or streams, someone that's anointed is someone who moves in power, right? Someone who moves in prophecy, healings, and miracles, signs and wonders. And we believe all of those things here at People's Church. And we want to see, see God come in power for sure. But this context of the anointing of the spirits upon all believers is not an anointing unto power. It's an anointing by the spirit unto truth. Grab that. Because it's anointing by the spirit to know truth from the spirit of error that we might be able to navigate the last days as deceptions arise. And God has given you the Holy Spirit. And he is called, I want you to think through this for a moment. The upper room discourse, John 14, 15, 16, three times, Jesus says, I'm going to send you a helper. I'm going to send you a helper. Amen. I'm going to send you a helper. And all three of those passages, here they are. Um, um, Matt, uh, where am I at? <laughs> John 14, 16, and 17. I'm going to send you a helper, John 15, 26, John 16, 7, John 16, verse 13. I'm going to send you a helper. Who needs a helper? Seriously. Yeah, and you know what he calls the helper in those three verses? The spirit of truth. And here's what we need. We need the anointing of the spirit upon the church that we are anointed with the spirit of truth to be able to deal with the rise of deceptions and the spirit of error that's coming in our age, especially as we grow closer to the close of this age. Amen. I don't want to miss this illustration, so I'm going to wait for the worship team to come. I'm going to pray. Just, just a minute, just a minute, just a minute, just a minute. Uh, yeah, I don't want to miss this illustration. Okay, here it is. I wish I'd have brought me a big wad of $100 bills. <laughs> I don't have them. <laughs> so, so here we go. Here we go. So y'all know this is a very familiar illustration, but it's also a very good and clear illustration. I'm told that those who handle money, like bank tellers, that they, they will have, give them $100. They don't give them ones. <laughs> $100 bills, and they sit there. Maybe for days, I don't know. But they sit there and they handle the $100 bills, right? And then at some point, they slide in a counterfeit bill. And while they're counting them real bills, and they got the real deal in their hands, right? And they're, ooh, wait a minute. That one felt different. And the counterfeit showed up. And because they have been handling the real deal, when the counterfeit arises, that's, that's counterfeit. And I'm going to tell you, beloved, listen to me. Ah, y'all ready? Ezekiel says it. 
John says, eat the scroll. You get this book in you, and when deceptions come, the spirit of truth will say, <laughs> counterfeit. Spirit of truth will say, that's deception. Amen. Let's be a people of the book by the spirit of truth that we be able to deal with this one that's coming. Amen. God bless you. Okay, worship team, if you'll come. We are moving in, and also elders and those that are going to assist. We are moving into a time of um, communion this morning. Yeah, brothers, if y'all, y'all go ahead and start. Yes, that's great. As you're receiving the elements, just hold them in your hand. We will partake of this in just a moment together. We're going to go ahead and into this song of worship as a response. Here, here's, the, here's the challenge this morning. What have you heard? What are you hearing today from the truth of the Word of God? Maybe someone wants to, someone needs to respond. And I just want to, during this song of, of invitation, before we take communion, we'll, we'll come back in just a few moments. But maybe there's an opportunity. There is an opportunity. If someone wants to come and just kneel at the altar and respond to the word of God, of course you can do that right where you sit. We just want to make opportunity available. We'll move into communion together in just a few moments.